This morning, God's Word comes to us from Acts chapter 18. Acts 18. We're going to be reading just the first 11 verses of this chapter. Acts 18, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's word. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Blue Psalter hymnal to page 92 in the back section. This is uh, Canons of Dort, Head of Doctrine 1, and this morning I'd like to read just Articles 2, 3, and 4 at this time from page 92 in the back of the Psalter hymnal. Article 2, but in this the love of God was manifested, that he sent his only begotten Son into the world, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. Article 3, and that men may be brought to believe, God mercifully sends the messengers of these most joyful tidings to whom he will and at what time he pleases by whose ministry men are called to repentance and faith in Christ crucified. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Article 4. The wrath of God abides upon those who believe not this gospel but such as receive it 
and embrace Jesus the Savior by a true and living faith are by him delivered from the wrath of God and from destruction and have the gift of eternal life conferred upon them. Well, in our study of the Canons of Dort, we have spent some time <clears throat> dealing with the first head of doctrine, uh, election and reprobation. This is the last time we're going to deal directly with this head of doctrine before going on to the next. Uh, I suspect we will probably not spend as much time on each of the other heads, uh, but this one is so fundamental to understand the glory of the gospel, God's electing love, that God chose a particular people to be his very own. Uh, last time, in looking at election and reprobation, we looked at a couple of uh, objections. Um, it's a difficult teaching, it's a hard teaching. Well, there are many hard teachings in Scripture yet we still teach them, embrace them, and live by them. We talked about the fact that it, it just election reprobation just doesn't seem uh, to be fair. We saw that our concept of fairness is a difficult thing to get a handle around, but justice, biblical justice, is certainly manifest in election and reprobation. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at one more objection. Uh, to the biblical doctrine of election. Uh, maybe an objection that you have heard. If salvation is first and last from God, if election is God's sovereign choice of who will be saved, then why in the world would we evangelize? God has His own God knows His own. Why would the church at all be concerned with the spread of the gospel? It's all up to God anyway. Election and evangelism. Uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning in uh, Acts chapter 18 and in our confession. We will see that election does not undermine our evangelism. But a proper understanding of election actually undergirds our evangelism and gives us reasons to go out and share the glories of the gospel. Election and evangelism find themselves in perfect harmony, which should not surprise us, because the Bible speaks with one voice. God declares His way to us. So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about a few things we've talked about before, reminding ourselves of the nature of election and reprobation, what we call double predestination. It's a good to have that reminder, I think, as we prepare to, to compare that with biblical evangelism, that we might be able to articulate um, the glories of the faith and how these two do fit perfectly together. Remember, children, we talked about election. And when I say election, that begins with E, you think of the book of Ephesians. <laughs> And Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us with in the Beloved. Ephesians 1 speaks about election, God's sovereign choice. Now, I suppose if you wanted, um, you could go to the canons to read about election. We have a beautiful statement in Canons uh, Article 7 of, of Head of Doctrine 1. Election is the unchangeable purpose of God, whereby before the foundation of the world he has, out of mere grace, according to the sovereign good pleasure of his own will, chosen from the whole human race which had fallen through their own fault from their primitive state of rectitude into sin and destruction, a certain number of persons to redemption in Christ. That's a beautiful, concise statement about election, but if someone asked me, I would not take them first to the canons. Uh, it's a beautiful statement, but we take them first to Ephesians chapter 1. Because as we have seen throughout this, uh, this beginning of this series, election is a biblical doctrine. It is not simply a Calvinistic doctrine. It is not simply a Protestant doctrine. It is a biblical doctrine. God chose who would be his own. We see he made that choice before the foundations of the world. Remember, kids, before you were born, before your parents were born, God chose his own before the world was born. Who would be his? And he made that choice simply because he chose them. Not a choice based on any condition. Not a choice based on foreseen faith. That God looks down the corridor of time, he knows who will believe, and therefore he chooses them. It's just the opposite. God chooses them, and therefore they come to faith in time. An unconditional election. Chosen out of the fallen mass of humanity. This, this Pauline doctrine, this biblical doctrine, our understanding of election. We talked about reprobation. Remember, double predestination. If God has chosen some, there are some who are not chosen. There are some who are passed by. And again, the, the uh, confession make refer makes reference to that in uh, Head of Doctrine 1, Article 15. What particularly tends to illustrate and recommend to us the eternal and unmerited grace of election is the express testimony of sacred scripture that not all, but some only, are elected, while others are passed by in the eternal decree, whom God, out of his sovereign, most just, irreprehensible, and unchangeable good pleasure, has decreed to leave in the common misery into which they have willfully plunged themselves and not to bestow upon them saving faith and the grace of conversion, but permitted them in his judgment to follow their own ways at last for the declaration of his justice to condemn and punish them forever, not only on account of their unbelief, 
but also for all their own sins. And this is the decree of reprobation, which by no means makes God the author of sin, the very thought of which is blasphemy, but declares him to be awful, irreprehensible, and the righteous judge and avenger thereof. You could go there. But kids, when we think about reprobation, which starts with R, which book in the New Testament do we go to? We go to Romans. We go to Romans chapter 9. Because in Romans chapter 9, we have a beautiful picture of God's sovereign choice, choosing one and passing one by. Romans chapter 9, verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Remember the story, children. Twin boys, same father, same mother. And before they were even born, God makes a choice of one and passes the other by. Not a Calvinistic doctrine, not a Protestant doctrine, a biblical doctrine. God's sovereign choice in both election and reprobation. We did see that the ground of election and the ground of reprobation are different. The ground of election, God's sovereign choice, is His grace and His mercy. God freely, sovereignly, because He is merciful and gracious, chooses some to be His own. The ground of reprobation is our own fallenness, our own sin, and God's just response to that sin. In election and reprobation, we see God's mercy and His justice. Belgic Confession 16, look that up this afternoon. Belgic Confession Article 16 talks about God's mercy and His justice in election and reprobation. If this is hard for us, if it just doesn't seem right to us, then we hear Paul's words from Romans chapter 20. Uh, how can God blame anyone if it's all His choice? Who are you, O man? to answer back to God. We're talking about God's eternal decrees. If we can't get our brains around that, uh, that should not surprise us. It is His divine counsel that He will choose some and He will pass some by. And we see that again in our text this morning in Acts chapter 18. Paul uh, is there in Corinth and he is preaching in the synagogue. He is trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when they reject what Paul has to say, we read in verse 6, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. This is because of your sin. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. A choice being made. Choice to move from one mission field to move to a different mission field. And Paul says, I'm innocent of this. 
because you have chosen to reject the truth. That's our understanding of double predestination. Election, by God's grace, reprobation because of our own fallenness and our sin. What do we mean by evangelism? Often, when we begin to talk about evangelism, one of the first things that comes to mind is the method of evangelism. Now, perhaps that method might be um, four spiritual laws. Perhaps that method might be two diagnostic questions. Perhaps that method might might be, here's 12 easy steps to salvation. Uh, Often, books we find in Christian bookstores about evangelism focus on method the method of evangelism. Maybe when we say evangelism, we think um, of an event, of a big event, a crusade, where we uh, all go to a particular stadium or we set up a big tent and we bring in a special minister uh, who preaches a fire and brimstone sermon and who calls people to faith and repentance in Christ, pleading them to come to God. Oh, God is just waiting for you. He's just waiting for you. Won't you come and accept Jesus Christ? We often think of these things as as playing on our emotions, uh, trying to move us emotionally, uh, having its roots uh, back in uh, in the anxious bench. Remember the anxious bench? Maybe you don't remember the anxious bench. The anxious bench was the front bench of church, and the real sinners sat there. (laughs) And the minister would call them out by name as they were sitting in the anxious bench, because they were anxious about their salvation. What if God condemns me? And I'm trying to move them emotionally. I would suggest when we think about biblical evangelism, our thought be not on a man-made method, our thought be not on a large event, but biblical evangelism has to do with a God-given message. A God-given message. Notice what our text says in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word. Paul, probably the greatest evangelist in the New Testament, was occupied with the Word, with the message testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. This Christ whom they had been looking for, this Christ whom had been prophesied, it was Jesus, the one who came in the flesh. This is the, the, the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ, who he is. Jesus Christ, what he has done. This is that same message we bring today. Jesus Christ, a sinner's Savior. It's a simple message, yet a profound message that God would send His own Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for the sins of each and every one of His chosen. This is the truth that we tell, the truth about Jesus Christ, the truth that comes from the Scriptures. Biblical evangelism, not not first of all about a method or about an event, but about a God-given message, Jesus Christ, a sinner's Savior. With that understanding of election, 
with that understanding of evangelism, uh, how do these fit together? Well, God has chosen some to be saved, and he has chosen to pass some by. God has chosen some to hear that word of God preached. We look at Article 3 of our Confession, Head of, one, uh, head of Doctrine 1, Article 3, and that men might be brought to believe God mercifully sends the messengers of these most joyful tidings to whom he will and at what time he pleases, by whose ministry men are called to repentance and faith in Christ crucified. God sends messengers of this glorious message to whom he will at what time he will. The answer to how election and evangelism fit together is to remind ourselves God not only determines the ends of salvation, who will be saved, but God determines the means of salvation, how they will be saved. They will be saved through the declaration of the gospel. God not only determines the ends, he determines the means. As with the supper this morning, God's desire is that we be spiritually strengthened. How does he do that? He does that through the bread and the wine. A reminder, a symbol of the body and blood of Christ. God not only determines what he wants, that we be strengthened, but how he wants to do it. By coming to the table of the Lord. Paul will say in Romans chapter 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How can they believe if they never hear? God determines the means by which His chosen will come to faith. The means of the preaching of the gospel. That gives us a a necessity of evangelism. Not to say, look, God knows His own, He's going to get, get them either way, but a necessity that we bring the gospel. Because that's God's appointed means to bring people to faith. It gives us an urgency in evangelism. Because we desire to be obedient to God. He has chosen this means to bring people into fellowship with Him. We have to go and do that which God has called us to do because He has called us to do it. It gives us a genuineness in our evangelism. You know, it's not as if we um, have to pick and choose who we evangelize. It's not as if, you know, people walk around and they've got an E for elect on their forehead or an R for reprobate on their forehead and we can tell who to talk to. We can talk to everybody. We can earnestly call them to faith and repentance because we don't know. But we do know God's appointed means and that he will use that means to bring glory to himself. No, election does not undermine evangelism. Election undergirds evangelism. 
What do we read in verse 9? And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. God says, I have many here who are my people and they need to hear the gospel because that's the appointed means by which they will come to faith. In fact, without election, there is no hope in evangelism. Now, we haven't talked yet about man's fallenness. We will get there. But man left to himself will never, ever, ever choose for God. He is dead in transgressions and sins. But God has elected some. And the Holy Spirit works through the power of the gospel. And they come to faith. No, without election, we have no hope of evangelism. Knowing that God has many of his people, we have a boldness. A boldness to declare the truth that we know. It frees us up because God will bring his people to him at his time and in his way through the ministry that he commits to us. We don't have to be afraid of saying the wrong thing. What if I don't have all the answers? We simply tell the truth that we know. And as we do so, knowing that God has many of his own, we can be patient as we bring the glories of the gospel. Notice what we read in verse 4. Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, again and again and again, seeking to convince them that the Christ was Jesus. Read in verse 11. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul did not have one sermon and say, this is the truth, believe it or not. Again and again and again. Evangelism is an ongoing activity. It's not as if, as if we go to a friend at one time and share the gospel with them and, and they reject it. Well, okay, they must be reprobate. We continue to go back. We continue to have the conversation again and again and again. Not, not one shot or you're lost, but engage them. God says, I have many, I have many in this city, many who are mine. And the same is true for us. God has many of his own in Chino, in Ontario, in our circle of influence. And he calls us to bring the glories of the message. That message we bring again today, Jesus Christ, a sinner's Savior. Put your faith, put your hope, put your trust in him. If you are feeling the moving of God and you think that perhaps this is the day of salvation, this is the day of salvation, this is the place of salvation, as the gospel goes out once again and God himself calls you to repent of your sins, to place your trust in Jesus Christ alone and to know the glories of what it is to belong to him. Election, evangelism go hand in hand. God determines the ends and God determines the means. And God says, I have many, many who are mine and we are called to go and share that good news, that we might be part of that glorious means which promote God's glorious ends, the salvation of each and every one of his own. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you and we praise you, for you are the God of all glory. You are the electing God, the God who 
chose his own, the God who knows his own. And the God who has given us the means of the preaching of the gospel to accomplish your purposes. Lord God, we pray you would open our mouths. You would help us to speak the truth that we know that praise and honor and glory might flow to you as you continue to call all of your own to come to you. Strengthen us for that task. Strengthen us today as we, as we come to the table and are better prepared to go out and share the truth that we know. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.